Hey, this is the second week in our series, Peace on Earth, with a little peaceful music intro to try to kind of get ourselves in the mood of the desire for peace. But it all boils down to a verse that you hear every Christmas. Every single Christmas, we hear the same verse read over and over again. It is this one. Maybe if you've listened to it uh, in the Charlie Brown Christmas story, you've heard it. Or maybe you've just memorized it from the old KJV, King James Version of the Bible. It doesn't matter. We hear this verse all the time. I'm going put to put it up on the screen once again this Christmas. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And every year I hear that verse, and every year I think to myself, so when's it going to actually happen, God? You know, when is this peace actually going to come? Because in my life, I hear those words as if they're a promise. I hear those words as if they're a prediction for something in the future. And every year I need to remind myself that these were not a prediction, These were a proclamation. These were not predictive. One of these days God's going to bring his glory and one of these days God's going to bring peace. These were a proclamation that today is the day that these things had come. And so we last week looked at that verse and I took you back into Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 9 we read these words. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah made this prophecy that one of these days God would send some special chosen one, a Messiah, an anointed one, to come to be on this earth. And he would be so incredible that everybody would call him Mighty God and see him as the Prince of Peace. And we got to remember, we got to realize that these are promises of something that God would do. And when the angels showed up on that first Christmas, that was a proclamation that God had done it. The proclamation of peace on earth is in our past. And then just to highlight the big point of last week's message, we saw Jesus say these words to his followers. He said, peace, I leave with you. My peace I give you. And the whole idea of this series is for us to recognize that the peace on earth thing at Christmas is not a hope, is not a prediction. It is a proclamation of something that has already happened. Peace has come on earth. When Jesus was born, that was the inauguration of the age of peace on the earth. When the Prince of Peace would be in charge, if not over the governments of the world, at least over the hearts of his followers. And in his followers, he said, my peace I give you. Now that means that the Prince of Peace has taken his peace and given it to us somehow, which means we should be people who experience peace. We should be people who understand peace. We should be people who live and breathe in an environment of peace. But beyond that, he said, my peace I leave with you. The Prince of Peace has deputized his followers to be an army of peacemakers. Now that's an interesting phrase. An army of peacemakers. We, we don't tend to think of peace as one of these things that needs an army to bring about. 
And then you get yourself in the mode where you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I can see how an army can bring about peace. And we live in a jumbled world where we have a hard time even understanding peace. And so I'm going to let you know right now that if you're here today listening to this message, I'm begging you to come back next week because peace has two components. There is a peace that we are supposed to live in and there is a peace that we are supposed to work out in this world. And peace is complicated. Today, we're going to talk about half of this peacemaking process where Jesus has called us to be part of his peacemaking army in this world. And so today we're going to talk about half of it. Next week we're going to talk about the other half, and the two of them require each other. If this were, you know, not the Christmas season, and if I weren't trying to do a message in just 30 minutes-ish, then I would probably do both, you know, pieces just today to keep them together, because they're that important to each other. If you hear next week's message without this week's, you'll get the wrong idea, and you'll think we're supposed to be militant people. And if you hear this week's message without next week's message, you'll get the wrong idea, and you'll think that we're just supposed to be, you know, namby-pamby, nice with everybody in, in some sort of, you know, soft, weird, mushy kind of way. Today, I'm letting you know it's a two-parter. There's today and there's next week. Because there's this verse that when I think of peace, When I think of living in peace, when I think of expressing peace in this world, when I think of being part of Jesus' army of peacemakers, there's a verse in Romans that touches my heart. It's in Romans chapter 12, a section that is just beautiful. Romans 12 and 13 together do something that is just absolutely astonishingly beautiful. In fact, Romans 6 through 13, I think are pretty, and 14 is good too. But anyway, it says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, of course, there's some reassurance in this passage. The reassurance is that it might not be possible. The reassurance is that not all peace depends on you. Some peace depends on other people. But as far as it depends on me and as much as it is possible, it is my job, it is my duty to live in peace with other people. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to talk about how to live at peace with other people. And I got to admit to you, it feels like a pipe dream these days. Living at peace with other people feels like an unimaginable, unattainable kind of goal. Just a couple weeks ago, not even two weeks ago, less than that, I went to a prayer breakfast of a bunch of ministry leaders in town here. The group is called the Greater Lafayette Gospel Association. It's a group that in large measure I was part of the formation of. I was the president of it when we developed it. And I was president all the way up until around March of 2020. But I tell you what, I feel completely alone these days when I go to these meetings. Two weeks ago-ish, almost, um, about 10 days, I went to the meeting that started December. And there I am in the room of a whole bunch of pastors, a whole bunch of ministry leaders, people that I should feel a strong affinity with, a strong connection to, a group that I had formed and led for many years. And in that room, I felt completely alone. I was the only one wearing a mask. And 
Now, you guys know the reasons why I wear masks in public. I've talked about that before. Number one, there's the, the local mandate that is not a mandate anymore. It's just a recommendation. And so the, the health people in Tippecanoe County are like, we think you should wear masks, and I want to be a person who lives in submission to authority. It's just one of my values. I want to be a person who recognizes the value of authority, and so if someone asks me to do something and they've got a good reason for doing it, I'm going to submit to it. So I do that. Now, my second reason is that I'm not afraid of COVID at all. My parents have it, had it and uh, about a year ago, and they were just totally fine. My dad was mostly asymptomatic. My mom lost her sense of taste for a couple months, but, you know, it's mostly back. And, you know, so they've dealt with it. They've been fine. I'm okay with the, with the thought that my genetics are probably secure. And so I'm not worried about that. On top of that, I've had a vaccination. And so I'm not worried about getting COVID, but I'm 100% convinced that if the virus were to hit me, I would probably be one of those asymptomatic people you know, where I might be just walking around with it all the time and not even knowing it. And so I wear a mask for that reason. And then number three, I know that there's going to be some people in this world who are wearing it for their own reasons, and I want to live in solidarity with them. I want to live in a, in a world where they can feel like they are welcome and they are at home, so I live in solidarity with them. These are my reasons. I've told them to you guys before. You know where I'm coming from with all this stuff. And here I am in a room and I'm the only one wearing a mask. There are like 30 pastors and ministry leaders in the room, and I'm the only one, and it's been that way for about a year now. Um, I went a long time without attending these meetings because I was so just disturbed by the loneliness that I felt amidst a group of people that I thought um, I was connected to. And it's weird the way the mask thing has done that. But this, this meeting in December was even more intense because at the meeting, we were praying for another pastor and his wife who were in the hospital at the time with COVID on supplemental oxygen. And so in the meeting, we were praying for another pastor who usually comes to these meetings but there was, couldn't make it to this meeting because he was literally in the hospital on supplemental oxygen. Not a, not a ventilator, thank God, but you know, on supplemental oxygen. And we were praying for him to get better and for God to do a miracle in that man's life while everyone who was doing the praying seemed to show no in, indication of care or concern for this virus thing that was going around. It's been so stressful for me that it has been a real struggle for me to live at peace with those other churches, with those other pastors. And I know I'm not alone in that. I'm just the one who gets to complain on stage. And so uh, we, we are in this place where it feels to us like the divisions are so pointless and so meaningless and yet so firmly held that we don't think peace is possible with one another anymore. It's a lot easier if we isolate ourselves into little enclaves where I can be with the people who are like me. And, but I continue to go to these meetings because I continue to need to train myself to be a person who understands how to be at peace with others. Today we're going to look at some Christmas stories and another story too to help us get a picture of what the Prince of Peace is all about 
when it comes to these practical realities of how do I experience peace with people around me even though I don't feel an affinity to these people or I feel some other sort of difficulty with these people. But I'll tell you what, as a little bit of a disclaimer, there's going to be some stuff we're talking about today and some stuff we're talking about next week and the stuff we're talking about today might give you the impression that you're just supposed to be okay with whatever anyone else ever does or says or thinks. And so please come back next week where you get the other side of the story. But for today, let's think about some of the Christmas stories. You know the, the shepherd's story, right? We already looked at one of the verses from the shepherd's story. That's the passage that Linus quotes from the stage, you know, on, on the Charlie Brown Christmas story. You all know it, but it's worth reading again. So let's go ahead. I'll put it up on the screen, and let's just read through the shepherd's story of Christmas. It says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Just, you know, remember that. The shepherds were living in the fields. In other words, they were homeless. Let's just be clear about that. They did not have homes they were living in. They were living with the sheep in the fields. It's just an interesting thing to keep in mind as you read the rest of this story. Living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then, suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them, And gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they do. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And everybody who heard it was amazed by their story. Now you've heard the story You've seen the children's Christmas plays. Last night, Chuck and I were sharing uh, the experience of watching another church's live stream of a Christmas pageant play thing that was just, you know, amazing, you know, with the teenagers dressed up in in white uh, footy pajamas with black spots on them to make them look like sheep. You've seen the things, you know, where the shepherds are like the heroes of the story, you know, And, and we as Christians, we love the shepherd mystique. There's something about being a shepherd that we just sort of have the wrong idea about because, you know, David, the great king, started out as as a shepherd. Amos, one of the prophets who gets a book in the Bible named after him, was a shepherd. Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And the word pastor is literally the Latin word for shepherd. And so we just, as Christians, we've embraced this shepherd idea as being something really sort of awesome and wonderful and caring and supportive and And all of that is wrong, sort of. Because at the time these shepherds were living in the fields, it was a time when shepherds were widely understood as being the nastiest, dirtiest, smelliest, 
just the most shady people you could ever imagine. I mean, number one, these people spent all of their time with animals, a herd of animals, and the things that animals produce don't smell great. And the things that the humans have to do when they are working with the things that the animals produce causes the humans to not smell great. And it's not like you could just walk into your house and turn on the sink and get yourself some really good lava soap, you know, going to get all that work muck off your hands. No, this is a different world entirely. These guys are out there living with the sheep. They are feeding the sheep. They are taking care of the sheep. Sheep get born. There's blood everywhere. Everywhere. Sheep die. There's gross stuff everywhere. The shepherds were 100% completely, always, all the time, smelly, dirty, and beyond that, ceremonially unclean. Because they spent so much time with the dirty stuff of the world, because they spent so much time with the blood and with dead animals and stuff, they were never allowed to enter into any experience of worship. The temple was off limits to them. They raised the sheep for the temple, but the temple was off limits to them. There's no way they could have gone into the area of the temple where they could even have seen their sheep be sacrificed because they were ceremonially unclean. No one would want to welcome them. And on top of that, Since they had been living outside, since they had been living without homes, since they weren't part of the regular society, there was a suspicion that began to develop that shepherds were always thieves. In fact, it is a widely understood thing in the ancient world that shepherds and thievery were way often decided by people that they were linked It might have just been prejudice. We don't know if there's any actual evidence of the shepherds being thieves or any shepherds being thieves. But we definitely know the prejudice was so strong that sometimes people would talk about thieves as if they were shepherds. But angels come out of heaven to talk to them. And then they get up and then they go to see the place where the baby is born. And Mary and Joseph welcome them. See, that is just as fascinating as the fact that angels showed up. You have to hear this. The angels showing up, that's a miracle. But two Jewish people who have just had a baby and want to make sure that baby is as healthy and well taken care of as possible, they are the people who are allowing these nasty shepherds to show up. Oh, and one more thing, just by the way. It is a mistranslation of the Bible, an unfortunate mistranslation, that they use the word in in the line where it says there was no room for them in the inn. Because when we read that word, we think hotel, motel. There was no room in the place where people who were journeying would spend the night. Those things didn't exist back then. Back then, the only thing you had was relatives' homes, generous people's homes, and prostitutes. That was it. That's all you had back then. There was no such thing as an innkeeper the way we think of inns and innkeepers. There were brothels and there were brothers. That was it. And so that means that Mary and Joseph weren't knocking on all the different hotel doors. They were literally in a family home 
And they were in the bottom level where all the sheep and animals were because in the ancient world, that's where they kept their sheep. They didn't have enough money to build stables when you're just a normal person. No, you'd keep your animals in the house on the first floor at the bottom and the house was so packed there was no guest room. The modern translations correctly translate that word as guest room. But get the picture. They're inside a house. They're not in some open stable somewhere where shepherds can just sort of walk by. They are inside a house where shepherds have to knock on the door and say, we heard. And someone has to let them in. See, the first picture of peace that we get in the Christmas story is that Jesus is, a, is part of a family that welcomes the outsiders. And we also need to be people who welcome the outsiders. There are going to be people who come into your life and they're they're just icky in all kinds of ways. They don't measure up to what you think a good Christian should be. They, They maybe have literal financial problems. Maybe you're suspicious about whether or not they've committed a crime. Maybe there's all kinds of things, but those who are following in the tradition of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, are the people who would welcome outsiders in. And after all, God is the one who sent his angels to them to say, no, I'm going to pay attention to these guys. No one else is paying attention to these guys. I'll pay attention to them. Let's move on to the next Christmas story. I know you know this one. This is the story of the three wise men. Um, Tip, they aren't three of them. We don't know how many of them there are. Uh, Secondly, they're not kings. They are, in the words of Matthew, magi from the east. And so let's take a look at this. This is from the book of Matthew now, and we'll read this story. I know you know it already, but we're just going to read it, and there'll be some interesting things in this one as well. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Leave that up there for just a moment. I'll give you a little quick little tidbit here. This is interesting. The translation here that I've got on the, on the screen is, we saw his star when it rose. And that's important because the other translations in the past were, we saw his star in the east. And uh, then a legend sort of developed around the Magi that had this idea of this being a magical star that was like a ball of light floating in the sky And these guys saw it, and they didn't know what it was, so they just called it a star. And that magical ball would float through the air, and they would follow it all the way to the house where Jesus was born. But clearly that's not what's happening, because number one, they said they saw it in the east. That's the literal translation. And they were in the east when they saw it. And so as a result, if God had a magical floating ball, why would people east of Jerusalem see the magical floating ball east of them? The only way you can understand that is that it was actually a normal star rising like all the other stars do as the earth rotates underneath the sky. And so this star is rising. That's why they could say they saw it in the east. They saw it the moment it rose. They saw it the moment it showed up. And they've been following it, watching it for quite some time. And it hasn't been floating magically to Bethlehem because they don't go to Bethlehem. What they do is they go to King Herod in Jerusalem. So clearly these guys don't know where they're going in detail. 
They know where they're going in big picture. Keep reading. Look at the next thing. It says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They all knew it was going to be the Messiah, the promised one. And they say, In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There's the shepherd thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of positive in the, in the prophets, but the people still didn't like the shepherds. Anyway, keep going. It says, Then... Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And you know, of course, the story. Herod just wants to kill all the babies who are within that time frame uh, so that he doesn't have to have a king fighting with him. But anyway, it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And this is one of those things that we don't really understand what the went ahead of them meant or what that it stopped meant. We know that definitely this is a star that these guys have seen. And we'll come to that again in just a little moment. But we also know that there's something about the star that is communicating to them a specific place now. But just remember, it didn't communicate Bethlehem. And now somehow it's communicating a house. We don't know. We don't understand. But let's keep reading. It says, When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we read that story and we're like, Oh, this is amazing. These 12 rich men from Persia somewhere. You know, they're so exotic. They're, they're foreigners. It's like, it's like, ooh, exotic foreigners are coming to the land. And, and we read the story and we're like, oh, so excited. No, that's not the way these people would have been received back then. You got to realize that number one, these guys are way outside of Jerusalem. These guys are way outside of the world of Judea. These guys are Gentiles, Gentiles, Gentiles through and through. And it was part of the law that the Jewish people were not supposed to let a Gentile into their house because then their whole house would be unclean religiously, ceremonially. ceremonially. It was part of their rules that they were not allowed to let Gentiles into a house. And, you know, we read the story and we're like, well, these guys, you know, they got all this money, you know, and we call them kings because it sounds a lot cooler to say we three kings of Orient are than it does to say we three magi of somewhere in the east. You know, we don't, we, 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 just, we just get this story mythologized into something really quaint and curious and awesome. And, and you got to realize... These guys had looked at the sky. They had seen a star. They had made a decision about current events based on the star they had seen. You know that still happens today, right? People look at the stars and then they make decisions about their own life based on what the stars are doing. And they make decisions about current events based on what the stars are doing. You know what that's called? It's called astrology. These guys are magi, which is short for magician. These guys are sorcerers. 
These guys are diviners. These guys are the people who play with omens and potions. These are the people who look at the sky as if the sky is going to tell them the secrets of human life on the earth. And God had specifically declared those practices detestable. In the book of Deuteronomy and in other places in the Old Testament, God says, don't let anyone into your community who has done any divination or reads omens or practices sorcery. Just don't do it. It's detestable to me. God himself had said, that stuff is detestable to him. And yet, God sent them a star. And this is important. A star that these guys and these guys alone could understand. They didn't have Scripture. They didn't have the Old Testament. They had to come to Jerusalem to hear someone read the Bible to them so they could understand they were supposed to go to Bethlehem. They didn't have Scripture. They didn't understand anything except for some kind of celestial event that they interpreted as being a king born in Israel somewhere. And so you go to the king to talk to the king about the new king that is born. And that means that God somehow wrote into the sky a message that these guys and these guys alone would see. It's not some magical spotlight from heaven that sort of is circling around until it gets to Mary and Joseph's house. Because if that happened, you better believe it, there would be a lot more people than just the magi knocking on their door. You better believe it, if there was some sort of magical spotlight, everybody would be around and Herod would not have had to kill a whole bunch of babies because he would know exactly which house had the magical spotlight on it. But this message in the stars was a message that God wrote specifically to people who were doing something specifically that God detested. And I can't get myself past this truth that these people are doing something that God absolutely detests, and yet he used that very thing to reach their heart. To bring them to Bethlehem. To teach them a lesson of where the true king lies. And to teach you and us, you and me, a lesson of how the real king acts. See, Mary and Joseph welcomed these guys. They shouldn't have for so many reasons. They shouldn't have, but they welcomed them anyway. And these guys teach us the lesson that I believe we should welcome those who believe the wrong things. We should welcome those who believe the wrong things. These guys were living in such a way that was completely outside of God's will for humanity. And yet God used that exact method to reach them. Listen, I live in a world where there are a lot of people around me who are believing things that I disagree with. There are a lot of people around me who are believing things that I think are dangerous. Uh, believing things that I think are unhelpful. There are a lot of people who are believing things that just are pointless, but they lead to a path of something else that's wrong. And I'm like, I don't know how to welcome these people. I don't know how to be a person who is okay welcoming these people into my life. Uh, in a couple weeks, I'm going to be spending Christmas with family. And some of my family members believe things that I don't agree with. 
Some of my family members believe things that I think are harmful, believe things that are detrimental, believe things that I think are wrong. But I'm going to go there and I'm going to love them to the best of my ability. And I'm going to welcome them. And I would welcome you too if you believed something that I disagreed with. I'd invite people into my home. I might ask you to wear a mask when you're in my home. I might also ask you to take off your shoes or I might ask you to put them back on. But I can welcome you. I can welcome you. There's one more story I want to share with you. And this isn't a a Christmas story, but um, I think it's an important one. It's in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to read you the beginning and the end of this story. We're going to skip over a thing in the middle where Jesus tells a story of his own. Um, But the beginning and the end give us the lesson, the point that Jesus is trying to make. And so it says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. We've sung this song, the alabaster heart song, a few times before. This is where that story comes from. It says, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus told the story in the middle where he is basically talking about a person who is forgiven a lot and another person who's forgiven a little. And the person who was forgiven a lot responds with great love. And the person who's forgiven a little responds with a little bit of love and not much. And so Jesus is making the contrast between Simon, a guy who has not done much for Jesus, and the woman who has done a lot for Jesus. And he's not asking the question of whether the woman gets forgiven and the Pharisee doesn't get forgiven. He is asking the question, basically sharing the story of this woman had a lot to be forgiven, and it was forgiven. And you, by the way, Simon, see, this is the interesting thing. You might think I brought up the story to focus on the story of the woman and the fact that she was a sinner that Jesus welcomed anyway, but I got to point out to you that Simon is also a sinner. The Pharisee is also a sinner. There are two sinners in this story. There's the woman and there's the Pharisee. And Jesus tells the story of two different people getting forgiven so that he can talk about the woman who's been forgiven a lot and then look at the Pharisee and says, it might not be a lot, but it's still forgiveness. And here's the fascinating thing. The Pharisees were Jesus's main opponents for his entire ministry on earth. They were the main opponents to him. 
Every time Jesus tried to do something, it was the Pharisees who stepped up and were like, well, I don't think that's in the law. Or Jesus would try to care for someone and the Pharisees would step up and they'd be like, yeah, but it's the Sabbath. You can't do that. Or Jesus would say someone's sins are forgiven and the Pharisees would step up and say, nah, only God can forgive sins. And the Pharisees were always against what Jesus was doing. But beyond that, Jesus was against what the Pharisees were doing. There were a number of times where Jesus called out the Pharisees and he's like, woe to you. You guys are are behaving in such unjust ways to the people around you. And Jesus called out the Pharisees time and time again. The Pharisees and Jesus were like the, like the, the Batman and the Joker of their day. I mean, they were at odds with each other constantly. But when a Pharisee says, Jesus, would you come to my house to eat? Jesus says, yes. Jesus welcomes the Pharisee. Jesus welcomes the woman who's been living a life of sin. We need to welcome the people who are doing the wrong things. By paying too much attention to Jesus, I get the feeling that I might just end up needing to live a life where I let people walk all over me. Uh, Living a life of passivity, living a life where where I'm just like, you know, I'll let everybody else believe what they want to believe and do what they want to do, and I'm just going to live at some kind of peace with all of them. But, But that's not exactly clear, because Jesus did rebuke the Pharisees, and Jesus has called us to follow in his footsteps in a lot of ways that don't involve passivity. And so we're going to have to come back to this next week, to deal with what is it that we're supposed to do in this world when it comes to being people of peace and peacemakers. But don't let us jump to that too soon. I want us to linger with this for just a little bit. This idea that I'm supposed to welcome outsiders. This idea that I'm supposed to welcome people who believe the wrong things. This idea that I'm supposed to welcome people who do the wrong thing we do get a little hint, a little secret in all the stories that we've looked at today. Did you pick up on it? There's a similarity. In every one of the stories, every one of the people that Jesus welcomes has done the same thing. What's the similarity? Well, the the magi, they see a star about a new king and they want to travel a long distance so they can say hi to this new king. The shepherds hear the angels and they decide they are going to travel wherever it is to meet this new king, to say hi to this new king, to welcome this new king into the world. The magi welcome the king with gifts. The shepherds welcome the king with praise. And the Pharisee invited the king over to his house. You see, the thing that joins all these stories, and you can look throughout the New Testament, see other stories just like it, but the thing that joins these stories all together is that the people who were welcomed by Jesus had also welcomed Jesus. See, our job is to welcome anyone who welcomes Jesus. He's the Prince of Peace. 
And so he is the one that if you can welcome the Prince of Peace, then I can be in peace with you. And so anyone who welcomes Jesus, I can welcome them. And since I am supposed to be a representative of Jesus, anyone who's willing to welcome the Jesus who's in me, I need to welcome back. It doesn't matter if they're an outsider, it doesn't matter if they do the wrong thing, it doesn't matter if they believe the wrong thing. If they're willing to welcome Jesus, and if they're willing to welcome the Jesus who is living in me, I need to welcome them back. I am supposed to welcome anyone who welcomes him. Now again, next week we're going to talk about some of the details of this. How do we live this out? But I want to, I want to just end this morning by asking you a, a reflective question. How welcoming is your heart? Two things. First, I want to ask you, how welcoming is your heart to Jesus? Jesus, who came to this earth, who lived and sacrificed his life for you and for me and returned to heaven in victory and then declares that those of us who follow him can receive eternal life. It's wonderful for us to accept the eternal life promise. It's a different thing to embrace the Jesus who walked the path of sacrifice. How welcoming are you? in your heart, to Jesus, to letting him live in you, to letting him live through you. And then the second thing is how welcoming am I to the people around me? These are the two questions that uh, plague us today. And next week we can talk about some practical details. Next week we can talk about, you know, how do we, how do, we do something active and not just be passive. But today, how welcoming am I? As we sing our final song, I want you to think through this idea of, Jesus, have I really given you access to my whole heart? Have I really given you access to everything about me? And Jesus, what are the relationships in my life that need to begin to get characterized by peace flowing from me, as opposed to the animosity that I've been feeling in me for so long? We'll take a few moments in silence uh, you've got some connect cards next to you. I'd invite you to write down a prayer request or a thought or a reflection on those cards. And let's just spend a few moments letting God speak into our hearts right now. Let me pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.